Good morning. Let me greet you all in the wonderful name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. We thank God once again for this morning. Such a vibrant uh, um, time of singing out to the Lord in, in worship and praise to his name. It's beautiful just to hear the voices raised up as the church is looking to the Lord and lifting his name up. Amen. Let me also, um, I see um, two new faces. I see Mama at the back, and I see uh, Offense as we have already um, introduced him. Um, welcome, and uh, may you um, feel at home as we, we share the word of God together. Amen. We continue from last week where we left off. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, I mean Philippians chapter 3, we're going to read from verses 12 until verse 16. Follow me as I read once again, and I hope today we finish uh, the, the, the sermon since we did not last week. Philippians chapter 3, I read from the ESV version. This is the word of the Lord, let us hear him. Not that I have already obtained this, so I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if anything, you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained, and this is God's word. Let us pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you, even as we come before you today. Thank you, Father, for your grace upon us. Thank you for loving us, and thank you for Christ, who has died on the cross to uh, for our forgiveness, O oh Lord. Thank you, Father, for bringing us together as a community around the preaching of your word, around um, to center around the, pre the, 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 the glory um, of your name. In the name of Jesus, we pray this. Amen. So we continue from where we left off last week on the last day. Our topic was a godly ambition. And so it continues to be our topic today. And we looked at three things in, in these uh, verses that I just read, but managed to only cover, cover the first point. So we looked at three things. Let me recount and enumerate uh, those uh, three things. First of all, we looked at confession and determination in verse 12. We, 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 we're going to look at an intense pursuit, second point, and then we're going to look at the advice and uh, the third point. And allow me to summarize the first point before we go on to, to, to the two points um, uh, from last week. We, we looked at confession and determination in verse 12. Look at verse 12. Paul says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Here we find Paul showing that he has not reached a point of, of his spiritual, uh, uh, in his spiritual life where he does not need to grow anymore or, or a point of spiritual perfection. But after 30 years as a follower of Christ, he still sees his need to grow and pursue Christ. He doesn't use the fact that he is not perfect as an excuse to, for, for, for sin or, or spiritual laziness, but he sees it as an opportunity to keep growing. 
And, and his confession here is followed by a, a determination to grow. He says, but I pressed on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. And in light of the fact that he has not reached spiritual perfection, he continues to pursue Christ, being motivated by the fact that Christ has made him his own. And I said last week that there is nothing that is more motivating to live a godly life than the fact that Christ has saved you. With that in mind, we continue looking at the second and third point. Secondly, we see the intense pursuit, the intense pursuit in verses 13 and 14. Read with me. Verses 13 and 14. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on for the goal. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And notice that, that Paul here repeats what he said in verse 12. But here he is, it is more focused and, 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 and personal. He says, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. He continues to fight the notion in the minds of the Philippians that he has reached spiritual perfection. And, and his words here have an intense sense as if he was saying to them, no way have I arrived spiritually. And this is a humble confession of a Christian, of a growing Christian. It is a humble confession every Christian must make. In fact, let me say this, that when you pride yourself in your spiritual growth, you invariably show how little you are growing and, or, or that you are not growing at all. Because where, 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 where true growth is, there is a desire to keep growing. There's a desire to want to grow more. That is why Paul here intensifies his pursuit of Christ even more. He says these words, but one thing I do. In other words, he says, this is my aim, my, my one pursuit. He, he was a man with, a, he was not a man with mingled Passions, but he was a man ruled by one passion, and, and to this one passion, he focused his whole attention. You see, the, the reason Christians these days are unable to accomplish anything worthwhile for God is that they are divided in their minds. They, they have mingled commitments. Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 6, verse 24, in the context of laying up treasures in heaven, this is what he says. He says, no one can serve two masters. For either he will, he will hate the one and love the other, or he will, he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Then he says this, you cannot serve God and money. Think about it. Money cannot be a good master. When it is a master, it will lead you away from God. Paul says to Timothy, in 1 Timothy chapter 6 verse 10, he says because of the love of money many have been led away from the faith and they've pierced themselves with many pangs. So money cannot be a good master, but it can be a good servant. It can be a good servant. When it is a servant, it will serve the purposes of God. It will feed the hungry and clothe the naked. It will advance the kingdom of God. 
When it is a servant, it is not controlling you. You are controlling it for the glory of God. Right? Do you see the difference? But the problem is so many Christians have made it to be a master. So their lives revolve around it to a point that they have no desire for the things of God anymore. They, they have too many commitments to be of any use to God. Paul says, one thing I do. This is what defines my life. It, it, it echoes the words of David in, in Psalm 27 verse 4 when he says to the Lord, One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and, and to, to inquire in his temple. You see, one thing that David wants, a, a lot of times we, we, we ask for, for many things from the Lord, but we hardly ask for the Lord himself. We usually want the gifts, but not the giver. David says here, I just want one thing. I just want one thing. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. And we see this idea again in Luke chapter 10, verse 38 to 42, when Jesus visited Mary and Martha in their house. And, and we are told that while Martha was distracted with much serving, Mary said at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. When Martha saw this, she, she became irritated and said to the Lord, Lord, do you not care that my sister left me to serve alone? Tell her then to, to help me. Now, let, let us say this for the sake of Martha. It, it, it is important to note that what Martha was doing was not insignificant. It, it, it was not useless. She was not doing a useless thing, but it was not the time. It was not the time. Mary was not lazy as well. Let us look at Mary and think about her. She was not lazy that she did not notice that her sister needed help, but she, 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 she discerned and, and, and she recognized that it was time to focus on the Lord. It was time to, to, to put her focus on the Lord. She was not lazy. And, and to show that she was not lazy, listen to how Jesus responds to, to Martha. In verses 41 to, to 42, he says, But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. One thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. In Jesus' own words, in the midst of busyness, in the midst of serving, in the midst of being distracted, Jesus says, one thing is necessary. And Mary sitting down at the feet of Jesus and listening to his teaching is that one thing. Hence the Apostle Paul saying, one thing I do. What is that one thing that he does? He answers that question. We don't have to look far. He says, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. 
this one thing that Paul is talking about has, has a, a sense of the past. He says, forgetting what lies behind. And it is a sense of the present. He says, straining forward to what lies ahead. It is something that he's doing in the present. And this, this forgetting what lies behind, again, Paul speaks of is, is, is an athletic term. It's a term of athletics. Paul uses, uh, usually uses those kind of pictures. He uses a, a picture for agriculture. He uses uh, a picture for, for, for the military. And then he uses the athletic term. Here he uses an athletic term. It, it gives us a picture of an athlete who, who runs against his opponents who are running behind him. And he knows that in order to keep the pace in which he is running, he, he shouldn't look back. Because even just a small glance at his opponent behind, uh, 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 um, at the back, it might mean immediate defeat. In the same way, Paul talks about forgetting things that could hinder him from, 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 from his Christian walk. There's a sense in which, uh, I want us to, to, to also acknowledge this, there's a sense in which our remembrance of the past can be a great encouragement, right? Remembering how God provided when you were in need, how he comforted you through his word and, and through his people when you were grieving, when you were going through a lot, uh, could give you confidence in the present that, uh, uh, and the future when, when you face difficulties that he is a God who provides and he's a God who cares. He's a God who is there when you think about what he has done for you in the past. But again, there's a sense in which our remembrance of the past can be an, a hindrance to our present walk with God. And this is the same sense that Paul has in mind when he says, forgetting what lies behind. He is referring to two things. He's referring to past accomplishments and past failures. We know that Paul had, had accomplished much for the Lord in his 30 years of being a Christian. He preached Christ in areas where Christ had not been preached. He trained men to, to, to take leadership in churches. He trained up elders. He, he planted churches. He saw the risen Christ and, and many other accomplishments. But if he was to look back and look at those accomplishments and, and, and he was to hold on to them as though it was his ticket to heaven, he would lose sight of Christ and become complacent in his work with God. And with regards to his past failures, we know Paul was a persecutor of the church. He dragged many faithful uh, men and women to prison and even allowed some to be killed. He, he foresaw the death of other, or oversaw the, the, the death of some faithful Christian. He, he was a blasphemer and an and, 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 and insolent opponent of Christ by his own admission. And if he was to hold on to this, to this kind of thinking, that because of his past sins, God would not be able to use him for his glory, then it would discourage him from even running the race to begin with. It would hinder him from running the race. So the only way he can run properly was to forget what lies behind and strain forward to what lies ahead. That was supposed to be his thinking. What lies ahead is the one goal 
that he was to focus on. He says, I pressed on toward the goal for the price of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And in terms of modern athletics, he sees the finish line ahead. And his adrenaline jolts for the last gap's uh, kick. He, he runs faster. His arms pumping, pushing off his toes. He runs for one thing and one thing alone. For the price of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He is running, running, not looking back. He wants to focus on the goal. I love how O'Brien explains this. He says, this is the full and complete gaining of Christ for whose sake everything else has been counted loss. Everything behind, everything, every accomplishment, every failure is lost. He, he wants to pursue and gain Christ. This was Paul's greatest desire and, and it should be our greatest desire to know Christ and, and the power of his resurrection, to, to share in his sufferings, to become like him in his death, and by any means necessary to attain to the resurrection from the dead. This must be the engine of our Christian life. We see a man here of intense pursuit. A man who is running like a madman for one thing alone. But it doesn't end there. He goes on to conclude with some gentle and wise, wise advice, which is our third point. The advice, look at verse 15 and 16. He says, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. I love how Confuse explained this passage. He says, mature people don't think that they are perfect or they have arrived. Those who are mature refuse themselves even a satisfied glance back at spiritual attainments. Instead, forgetting what, what, what is behind, they pour their energies into the pursuit of the full knowledge of Christ. They run the race rather than imagine it is over. Paul's confident assertion that if any of them thought otherwise, God will reveal it to them was not a smug assertion that if necessary, they would learn the hard way. Rather, he meant that if his brothers and sisters in Philippi had some flaws in their Christian understanding, God himself will graciously correct it. Paul trusted the Spirit of God to bring, to bring his people to the knowledge of the truth. Now, allow me to put it very simply for you. Allow me to put it to, put it to you this morning. Pursuing Christ has no vacation. It is something that must keep going. It must be a consistent way we live as believers. We must pursue Christ when it is smooth as the summer morning. And we must pursue Christ when it is hard as the winter night. 
Christ must be pursued in all seasons, in all circumstances, in all challenges. We must pursue Christ when it is bearable. We must pursue Christ when life is unbearable. At all times, Christ must be pursued. It is not a seasonal thing, right? Christ is not like oranges or, or bananas. Oh, I think oranges come in all seasons, I'm not sure. Uh, it's not like bananas which come in that season or, or apples that come in that season. Christ is not seasonal. He's for all seasons. When Paul says in verse 16, only let us hold true to what we have attained, he is reminding them why they are running the race in the first place. It is because of what they have initially attained. Their, their salvation in Christ and, and, and to continue in this pursuit is the testimony of the truthfulness of what they have attained. Man, just think about that. Our pursuit of Christ is a testimony of what Christ has done in our lives. Of what has already happened in our lives. In other words, we, we can say our outward pursuit of Christ is an inward reality of what Christ has done in our hearts, in our lives. It shows that Christ has changed us. It shows that Christ has, has justified us through his death on the cross. He has sanctified us through his uh, uh, burial. He has, he, he, he has obtained a place for us through his resurrection. From the dead. We can be sure of that. And, and here's the thing. An indication of a true Christian, as, as, as Paul says it here, is, is, is one who pursues Christ. We, we, we don't find it boring. I, I, I said something um, at the Bible study that when you find it boring to, to study your Bible, when you find it boring to pursue Christ, it is not that Christ is boring or the Bible is boring. It is because you are cold in your heart. It's because you're cold in your heart. I recently read a biography of a Scottish man by the name of Eric Little. He was a famous athlete known as the Flying Scotsman. He was a running man. He ran like a madman. There's also a movie about him called Chariots of Fire. I don't know if any of you know the movie. He was not only a world record-holding athlete, but he was also a committed follower of Christ. And let me tell you a bit about him. In 1925, having completed his degree in science in Edinburgh and a degree in, 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 in divinity, he set sail as a missionary to China with the China, in, uh, China Inland Mission. In 1932, during his first holiday, he married Florence Mackenzie. And in 1941, facing the growing threat of Japanese occupation in China, he sent his wife and three daughters to Canada to stay with her family while he stayed on to serve among the poor. Eric Little suffered many hardships but kept on running after Christ. And then in, in 1943, he was jailed in the Weizen internment camp where he began to cheerfully serve among those who were around him. In 1945, at the age of 43, Eric Little died of a brain tumor 
that may have been caused by his mal malnutrition, um, malnourishment and overwork. And his grave was marked by a simple wooden cross. His name was written in boot polish. He, he is buried in the burial chamber of the martyrs in China. And this is a man we can confidently say about him, he died running. He died running after Christ. He was a man whose life was given to only one thing, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead. He pressed on for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And may we all die running for Christ and with Christ. Amen. Oh, dear Heavenly Father, oh Lord, we thank you. Thank you for what you have done in our lives and thank you for showing us that you are a treasure that is supreme, a treasure that we must pursue with all our pursuit. And thank you, Lord, that as we run this race, we know that it is due to your strength that you have given us. And when we um, become tired, may you renew our strength each and every day that we may have one thing that drives our passions and desire and that it is to know you and exalt you. In Jesus' blessed name we pray. Amen.